0: You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend.
1: Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. Patrick, how are you in the Nerdverse today?
0: Doing well, doing well. Trying to survive the Wizard of Oz level winds that are hitting Colorado right now.
1: Like our are, are hallucinations and also witches flying by at the present yes. moment? Yep. Oh, all right. Um, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I actually saw a tumbleweed.
1: Like like a real tumbleweed? Is that, a, is that usually a Colorado thing?
0: No, I've never seen them in my neighborhood before, but I was sitting at my office desk and I'm just kind of working and all of a sudden I see something on the corner of my eye and I look and there's a tumbleweed rolling into the cul-de-sac. And I'm like,
1: okay, where did that come from? See, so, yeah, I mean, my the only context in which I've ever seen a tumbleweed was like on, on in cartoons, like Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote and such. And I I have seen a massive amount of them in
0: Colorado Springs once, but that was it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: You know, there's something like intrinsically kind of horrifying about them. They seem like they've escaped from a Jan Fandermeer novel on, on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and on on the level, by the way, of intrinsically horrifying, we have our guest today, who is not a horrifying person, but is capable of writing uh, quite shocking fiction. So we've got Malcolm Devlin here with us. Uh, it's great to have you, Malcolm. How are you? I'm very
2: well. Thanks for having me. I don't think I'm that bad.
1: I mean, I just you wouldn't. I mean, you are a horror writer, so i, mean, I want to give you do due, due diligence here. <laughs> so you're with us uh, for lots of reasons, but but mainly because recently uh, you've released your most recent work through Tor.com, a novella called "And Then I Woke Up." So talk to us about that. Um, so "And
2: uh, Then I Woke Up" is a uh, it's a novella about what may or may not be quite hard to talk about it without giving away spoilers in this one. It, um, <laughs> yeah. So I think rule all of thumb, there's going to be spoilers because it's kind of hard to talk about without this. So if you don't want spoilers, come back to it afterwards. But it's, it takes place in what looks like it might have been a trivial George Romero zombie apocalypse. Um, and a guy who has been cured of this pandemic is living in a halfway house institution somewhere. And he decides to go back out into the world. Um, But the pandemic, such as it is, is quite what um, might have been advertised. Uh, He's basically a very unreliable narrator in a slightly unreliable version of the world.
1: I don't know what you possibly mean about living in a world that feels in some way misinformed or unreliable. That is foreign to me in in every way. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Uh, That cuts that 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 cuts rather deep, Malcolm. That's uh, as an American (laughs) contesting with uh, neighbors who don't seem to have an agreed upon reality with me anymore. The the whole notion that there's a there's a plague that has transformed our sense of what is true in the world feels in the best possible way, very on the nose right now.
2: Well, I don't think it's just America either. I mean, the UK is completely but uh, France has got this little crazy election going on at the moment where people are thinking they might actually vote from the Le pen. Australia, where's it? um Well, politics here are a bit. Anyway, moving on. Um sorry, that's
0: a thing, really. Did you say moving on?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. They're going to they're going to send the political speech enforcement kangaroos after and, and you, you really don't want to have to deal with them. They're black. That's the koalas, they Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Drop those. Get you with their chlamydia or whatnot, whatever yeah. it is they have. Um but you know, I guess in all seriousness, there's there is a sort of sense in which um I don't know. I, I don't tell me, gentlemen, am I am I making up a memory that we used to have a sense of an agreed-upon reality? Or was that just me living within my very comfortable middle-class white lady cushion, feeling as if um, because other people consented to the way that I saw the world that we must have a mutual... I mean, am I just waking up to the fact that there's never been an agreed-upon reality? Or have we really fragmented? I don't know.
2: I think it's become much, much clearer that it's fragmented. I suspect as you grow up into something, it it's easier to read it as what normality is supposed to be and then the more you get to experience other perspectives and see other points of view, you realise that everything is completely nonsense. Not everything, obviously, that's a little bit interesting. But, um, I don't know. I think um, some things which sort of you assumed were agreed standards about what the truth was and how you'd ex- people in authority you'd expect anyway behave. that all seems to sort of, have changed quite a lot, but I suspect an awful lot was going on behind the scenes in the first place anyway. I don't know. I, I, I
0: it, it kind of reminds me of the, the debate that started to happen actually when CNN came on the air. So when CNN started, that really started the 24-hour news cycle. And with that 24-hour news cycle, they had to have news to report right it's like even even when espn started espn had to have something to show at three o'clock in the morning so you got you know darts uh people throwing darts at a board kind of thing like like they 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 went down the list of of major sporting events until they got to darts to show something cnn was kind of the same way they had to show something so it's like were there were there as many murders in the world as before or is it just because CNN is now reporting on all of them that we're now aware of them all right so it's like was everything as fractured as it is now and we just didn't know it because we didn't have uh 24-hour news and and YouTube and social media and Facebook and and all these things to tell us and to kind of illustrate it for us before Mm -hmm. right we just had what we had like BBS systems and <laughs> and, uh, and and what else did we have before? Like to, to, to kind of like we didn't have it. We just didn't have it. And so I don't know if it's if it's more fractured now or we're just aware of it. I guess is my point.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that one. And you know, I, I think part of it as well comes. No, through. no,
0: no. hold on, hold on. I oh, I take that all back. Oh no, never mind. Holiday dinners. We knew exactly how fucking fractured our oh, sense of no. reality was. No. Holiday dinners with family where oh. you're sitting across from, from aunt or uncle, such and such, and, and they're telling you some wild ass thing that they believe in that you're sitting there going, wow. Yeah, but that's how many times a year? A couple yeah. times a year. But I mean, you, you, I, my point is that we knew that there was fractured reality. We knew that. Uh, we just didn't have it in our face quite as much. Do you think it seemed less intense because you only had that site twice yeah. a year? Yes, I do. I do you think you sort of thought, well, it's
2: only happening twice a year. It's probably not that bad. It's probably not really happening anywhere else.
0: Yeah, but now you can't escape it. Now it's everywhere. <laughs> now you can't you can't post something somewhere and, and you know, I've always talked about you you can't say that I like something. Because there's going to be someone else who says, "Oh my God, you're so fucking stupid for liking that." How how can you like that? It's the stupidest thing in the world. Why? You know, and they have a completely different sense of, of whatever that is.
1: Well, I, I see where you're going there, and you're you're not wrong. I mean, certainly that the, the, <laughs> the internet is the place where everyone has to have an opinion about everything. That's um, not true. And <laughs> point made, <laughs> um, but. I think it, you know. there's there's another factor operating there and I think it has to on some level be related to your choices in writing your book, um, Malcolm, in that it's not just that people are drawing in different information from different sources and constructing narratives and things that they then share that are in contrast to each other. It's that we can't even agree on what are the markers of a true story anymore. We We no longer have an agreed upon set of standards by which to measure reality. And I think that Especially when you're dealing with a story where you have a point of view character who's been through a traumatic experience, whose whole world is kind of traumatized, you're, you're having to make very specific choices about what is interpreted as truth and when, and how to kind of use that as a narrative tool. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad Sorry. question. Never no, ask a I, question I'm that's not. binary. <laughs> I, I, I was just trying to rewind to
2: figure out what the question was.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. That's well, fine. Now that depends on who you ask. Oh, yes, well, Patrick, exactly. don't don't. <laughs> no, I
2: I I think you're right. I think the whole definition of what a truth is, and the fact that it becomes so divisive, and it very much becomes one side versus another, um, in which each side refuses to look at the criteria for what they're believing in, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: in favor of just going all out and no, this is what it's about. This is what's and so forth. And I'm saying this obviously from the point of view that I suspect when I look on the internet, and a lot of those people looking these opinions, as you say, keep cropping up. Uh, you've got to tell you that's wrong. That's complete nonsense. These people are complete lunatics. Can't stand these people. Because um, I do that as well. Obviously, so many people are wrong out there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, How dare they? Um, I, th- I think there is this sort of a space, this sort of this, this tendency. I suppose to jump. One side and go right. This is where I am. The rest of you guys, are lunatics.
1: now that that in of itself is interesting because I think there's there, especially in social media spaces where we're like constructing narratives about what happened and how should we feel about what happened and what is the stance that one ought to take about what happened. There is this like manufactured sense of urgency about taking a stand, like you said, jumping to one side or another of an issue and sort of saying, like, well, I definitely know that this political figure is, is completely wrong. And what they've said is rubbish and is a disservice to all of us. And so toss them in the trash, as opposed to folks over here who, you know, that's, we are not in a position, it seems like anymore, where we sort of slow down the process of considering our world in order to kind of critique it, that instead we we just we feel a sense of urgency to to plant our stake in the ground and say nope we're here it's what we believe this must be true and I need people yeah. to align themselves to that.
2: And I think there's a there's this sort of peer pressure there's an expectation that it has to be things have to be responded to, and so yes. you end up with an awful lot of people saying exactly the same things just so they can be seen to be saying the same things and not having been left out of this in case they're judged mm-hmm. for not having said the thing. And then, when you realise that everybody's being judged on what they say and what they haven't said yet, then it all becomes a bit of a quagmire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, in in the context of your story, again, trying not to spoil things, but just from from what I know, I, unfortunately, I have not read it, but. Uh, Kind of have a it's little. It's on
1: my library hold list, and I got a message. <laughs> it's coming in Monday. So
0: yeah. So it's popular, is what we're saying, okay? Um, <laughs> but uh, just 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 from the gist that I've gotten, just from the gist, there you go. Uh, I think it's it, it, it's it's easy to get lost in your own world these days, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I think it's. I don't. I don't know if it's easier, but it's easy to get lost in your own world, especially if you if you have some form of isolation for a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think there's an awful lot
2: of people are just
0: overthink and
2: over overthinking what they're overthinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of that sort of spirals
0: keeps you awake. Yeah, like let I me think. think about that for a second.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. The time. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean the isolation that you're talking about there, Patrick. Though is you know going back to what we we're talking about, um, seeing folks at holidays and whatnot. And well, mm-hmm. it's twice a year, so this must be an aberration of some kind.
0: It's a trope. It's a trope. Think right. about it. It's yeah, a trope it. in our society at this point. Is the yeah, holiday the, dinner? Your
1: crazy Uncle Ed or something comes out to sort of spout his lizard people theories, and you're all just like, "Can we have pie?" And- National Lampoon's
0: Christmas Vacation,
1: right? That sort of thing. Um, well, what I what I'm getting at is. Um, I think we all, though, are isolated, like, of course, very literally with our actual pandemic that is still, you know, somewhere in hopefully its later stages. But uh, I think we've been isolated way before then, I think, without realizing it, like our social media spaces are curated, we choose who we follow, or, you know, people ask to friend us, and we say yes or no. Um, And we have the ability to mute and block and sort of create spaces that are tailored to our needs and our desires. And we justify this to ourselves by saying that, um, people who are hostile towards us and make us feel uncomfortable, we don't owe them our time. And that's a reasonable position. But at the same time, it means that the more we kind of cordon the space around ourselves for whatever set of reasons, um, the, the more danger we're in of not realizing that we're in that curated space in the first place. Um, I mean, not to like, this is seriously American political here, but I remember feeling like absolutely ambushed by the outcome of the 2016 election, because I live in a very curated space where my friends and the people I was interacting with regularly, were not necessarily one and all great fans of Hillary Clinton, but they were very much not voting for Donald Trump. Um, Or at least that was what was being said. And so I lived in this space where it looked Patently obvious that there was no way Trump could be elected. There was just no one who was on my radar who was talking about him seriously, or or praising him, or excited about him. But again, that that's a space I made for me, um, and it's not reflective of the sort of the the much broader walls that that actually do surround me. Um, and I guess it, in a lot of ways. In in the pandemic context of of your book, the the whole idea of whether you have been ill and have recovered or were never ill, and all of that is is part of that kind of curation of like how how do you end up perceiving reality? What does your reality end up becoming?
2: Yeah, I mean, 2016 is an interesting example um, because I was living in the UK at that time, so we went through press first, and exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were very curated, very sort of confident that this probably couldn't happen. It'd be fine. And then it goes through... Um, that was a few months before the US loan, I think.
3: Yeah. It
2: was June, mm-hmm. wasn't it? So yeah, we had yeah, a, uh, yeah. a good bunch. And uh, we went to New York between Brexit and Trump, and everyone there was like, oh, how do you, how did that happen? That's completely crazy. We can't believe that would happen. We're never here. Um, and I remember that our attitude at the time um, uh, was like, no, 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 this, this can happen. Clearly this can happen. This is uh, this, partly this is the model that uh, Trump is using, kind of. Nigel Farage talk politics, my. You're just, my,
1: yeah. you're just looking it. to go to, to New York and suddenly you're Cassandra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, was, it was very strange because a lot of people were just going, well,
2: that's crazy. I can't believe that would happen there. Why would that happen? Why would anybody do that? Um, but yeah, but it happens. Yeah. And as you say, yeah, this is partly picked down to the way that we sort of cur- curate our bubbles, as you say, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so- which is interesting because there's the, um, so I, I, I used to work in web design. I don't anymore, but they, the whole idea of an awful lot of principles of web design is don't make me think. So everything has to be there so that you can click on things and it'll all work as you'd expect it to. So you don't actually have to interact with it in a sort of uh, mental capacity, I suppose. Yeah. it's can also things that... <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say another thing is very important to set the user's preferences so they only see what they want to. So, of course, all these news websites, for example, are only showing stuff that people they think people want to see. And you've got all this sort of idea that everyone's curated their own space, not just on social but on all the sort of the other media that they use now, in a way that it's basically just showing you what you want to hear. The fact that Google search results keeps sort of send you what you yeah. what you've done in the past.
1: It's very really hard yeah, to find new yeah. things Cookies on Google, and trackers and SEOs <laughs> and so on. Yes, yeah.
0: yes, I've I've also done stuff in the in the web dev space, and and I I was incredibly frustrated because a lot of times I would say, okay, we need to we need to put a form here so that when people land on the page, they can fill out the form. And a lot of times the feedback that I got was, well, no, we want them to read the stuff on the page and then click a button and go to another page and then read (laughs) the stuff on that page before they have to fill out a form. Can we put the form at the bottom of the second page? And I'm like, oh, you're (laughs) just going (laughs) to piss people off. You're just going to make them so angry. They came to this page looking for a specific thing. You're not giving it to them and they're going to leave. And that's kind of where we're at now. It's like people want the specific thing. Mm -hmm. And if they don't see it, if they don't get it, then fuck you and they leave. Yeah. And and that's kind of like our motto now, right? It's like if I don't see what I want, fuck you, I'm leaving.
1: Mm. Mm. I mean I think
0: As right. we get down this really, really complicated and and intense conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I like, I, I want to wind this back towards um, towards, And Then I Woke Up and in a way that I don't think is going to be in any way spoilery. So relax your shoulders a little bit. Malcolm, look <laughs> tense. It's all right. We're not going to ruin the book. Uh, from, yeah. Okay, good. Great, great, grand. Um, I was thinking, you know, and it kind of has to do with this idea of um, getting people into the story quickly and also sort of how do we sort of hone and focus the information. But I, I think... How do you think the novella, as a as a instrument, as like a vehicle, suits the story you're trying to tell here really well? You know, particularly yeah. I know you've done a ton of short fiction, um, and so you, you're certainly very adept at that at that modality. Well, um, no, that's interesting. Um,
2: this one just felt like it was it needed a bit more space, but it, at the same time, I don't think it needed that much more space. Um, so I, I, I have a theory that cause, uh, ghost stories, and I think also zombie stories, because I think what's interesting, if you think about a zombie stories, a ghost story was a bit more, uh, I don't know. Like, if, if a ghost story is your love comes back and just starts hanging around and annoying you, what a zombie story is, your loved one comes back, they're starting hell, and they actually, they're really hungry. They're, they're actually sort of more similar than you think, and I think it's quite interesting. But I think that their types of story work of better in short. Yeah. I think better, their stories work better in short form than in long form because I think the longer they are, the more repetitive they become, and it just becomes another—it's another haunting, it's another zombie attack, or so on and so forth. So I think they're always sort of quite good ones to just get in and get out of fairly quick. I think
1: there's something um, to, to be said as well about like you don't you don't want the things that a zombie story or a ghost story is really good at, like the the ideas, literal or metaphorical, that you're kind of poking at and the experience that you're poking at, to get overwhelmed by people asking too many questions. The longer a story goes on, the more people yes. want questions to be answered concretely.
2: Yeah. And this one in particular, because it involves a very weird type of virus, I felt that the more I dwelt on how this works, then the less convincing that would be. But I've always sort of uh, ghost stories are being a bit like jokes. They're all sort of set up on a punchline and then you just get out of it. Um, that's not always the case, obviously. There are many exceptions. <laughs> <but it's... laughs> Before people write in. Um, <laughs> but uh, So for this one, I-, I wanted to keep it sort of fairly concise. But so the story itself, it sort of pretends to be a zombie story, if you like. But it isn't really, as you discover, quite early on, to be fair. It's not really a twist. It's not just goes in that direction. But it wants to have sort of the aesthetics, I suppose,
0: of the zombie story. So, so Tracy's asking you about the the, the construction of your story itself and, yeah. and kind of how it fits. My, my, I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things. Number one, we've had some folks from tour.com on uh, talking about novellas recently. Is Lee Harris still over there? Uh, yes, I think so. Okay. Uh, remind him that chicken and waffles is a real thing. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay. The
0: other right. thing. He, I think mean, that might need some more context. It? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Malcolm's like, if I'm to be the messenger, you're really going to have to.
0: <laughs> he, and I, he and I had a discussion. I can't speak, speak fully, but I do suspect that he believes in chicken and waffles separate entities. So. <laughs> yes, but when when I when I mentioned that chicken and waffles was an actual dish that people that people ate, he said, "No, you're you've made that up. I'm not falling for that." Okay. And I'm like, "No, no, it's an actual dish. People people eat it." And he did not believe me. And then he, I think he did see it somewhere when he came to New York. Uh, I think someone because it became a little bit more mainstream as a dish, uh, oh, and he, he encountered it in the wilds. But yeah, so I just I just thought that was funny. I, I'm just curious, you know, as a as a as a writer, do you like the novella? Because it's it's kind of one of those things oh, where one. it's it was old, but it's well, not new just, again. Just
1: yours. We hope yeah. you yeah. like do, yours do you very just, much. Yeah, do you just like. <laughs>
0: Do you like the novella as a as a format, as a vehicle, as a? Because I know short story writers like short story writers, novel writers like novels. That novella falls in the middle, and not everybody likes it. But I'm I'm just curious. Like, where where do you fall? Um, I I like it. I
2: think. Um, I, mean, I I like short novels as well. I as I get older, I just think maybe it's just a age thing. But I think I really admire books which know when to stop.
0: Ah, yes. Which will
2: tell you what they need to know, tell you the story it needs to be, and just goes and that's it. So they leave enough space for you to fill them yourself, or it's just that length of the story. I think that gives a bit more room to breathe than some short stories. A lot of stories can sort of handle maybe one or two sort of interesting constant things and then sort of explore them, and then just separate, if you like, and then you just, your, your mind follow them wherever they end up going. And a novella can sort of push that a little bit further, you get more of the sort of sense of satisfaction of reading a novel, um, but without necessarily having to get bogged down in 400 pages of people walking from A to B. Yeah.
0: Right. So, so we've gotten into a... a, a a sphere of our uh, our own bubble within publishing of these the huge books, right? The the Sanderson yeah. novels, uh, but you like something a little smaller around the like two hundred seventy five to three hundred thousand mark. You know, a, a nice small air quotes novel. <laughs> I-
1: <laughs> i don't think that's what malcolm means at all <laughs> i know i yeah yeah i
0: think i think is a very good length of a novel yeah, yeah. that that's the old school novel right old yeah school that's like, were, that's were 50, like 50, the, you know new
1: wave yeah sort of sf kind of size right there yeah um and i, I think that you know like all things um you know the the aesthetics of of storytelling t- turns in its own kind of trends um I have the very thankless position right now uh, as both a parent and a teacher of, of folks who are teenaged of seeing my students wearing precisely the clothing that I wore when I was in high school. And it's, it's alarming because my tastes were evidently terrible um, and apparently they they somehow have raided my old closets and decided I was a genius and I'm, I'm just really distressed on their behalf uh, because they, they're, they're wearing like leotards with also um, baggy jeans and and things like that and I'm just oh honey but it, my mother always told me when I was growing up that, that fashion moves in 25-30 year cycles and you know, never throw anything out because 25-30 years it'll come back around. It feels like for the last 25 or 30 years S.F. F and horror have been dealing with doorstopper size epics and um, space operas and um, Stephen King size horror and things of that nature for quite a long time. And that the pendulum has sort of swung towards valuing different sizes of things. Um, that we're in kind of a renaissance of the novella now. Um, people who want to cut it up the middle, like Sean and Maguire. She wants to have her cake and eat it too. So she's going to do <laughs> novellas, but they're going to be in a long ass series. <laughs> so she's going to get it all.
2: At some point, okay, so they want a great big book only.
0: Right.
1: right. And then that's going to be clued together into something that does look like a Sanderson novel. Um
0: yeah. I, I remember when when Electric Velocipede was around and John Klima would say, Yeah, I think he had a shirt that said, Short fiction is dead, long live short fiction
1: yeah yeah that is it was ever thus <laughs> <laughs> i mean i suppose a, a, i
0: think you know a story
2: where it is where it needs to be i suppose isn't it and so some things need to be longer than other things. And i think i absolutely understand the appeal of getting lost in a great big book that you can just go on and on and on it can keep you company for weeks mm-hmm. um i think i, I it's not that I get impatient with that. I think it's just that I sometimes read some of the longer things and you're thinking, well, I can see where this is going, and I just like to get to that bit next. Yeah. Because so yeah. I can see, I, I have an idea of what's happening. I'm just waiting for that next twist for this reveal and we discover what you've been withholding from it and so on. And so that makes me sort of just get ahead of things. But I mean, I've, I've got a whole bunch of. I mean, from the uh, Christmas this year, I've got a, my David like a thousand page, novel. Which is just sitting looming at me my bookshelf, which I will get to at once. But right now we're only reading books one day because we've got a five month old with us. And um, that, that's gonna be okay for quite some time, I think.
0: Well see, I think the big books like that, the thousand pagers, I, I think that they they are marketed wrong because they serve multiple purposes. They're like the the all purpose novel, right? They number one, you read them, they can entertain you. Number two, they can hold your door open. Uh, like number three, they can help you reach a uh, shelf. You know, you can and stand on them on and them. just reach yeah. up and, right. and kind of yeah. get stuff. Uh, they're great work. at at smashing bugs and small critters that try to get in your house. I mean, uh, they just—it's I, I, like a marketing mess. Yeah, it really. They don't really own is. An
1: appliance that does just one thing really yeah. is what we yeah just. <laughs> I. I will give you a give you a piece of unsolicited parenting advice if you don't mind Malcolm that may no, that may give like you it. some sense of ease um I am the proud Owner operator of a 14-year-old and 10-year-old. Um, so I'm I'm quite a ways off from having a five-month-old in my life. But one thing that I learned that helped me get through the you now, I must be enriching my child. I must, I must do things to enrich my child, but also feeling like I am an empty bag that is um, sort of squeezing out enrichment all the time. And I'm just, I'm exhausted and I have no capacity to do things for myself anymore or time. So I came to the realization that. All my kids ever wanted to really hear was my voice and like see my face. And they had no blinking clue what I was saying anyway. And so I would pick books that I wanted to read and I would just read them out loud. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, you can see where this is going. I thought thought you
2: were going to say you were just going to put them in front of your podcast. <laughs> I, well, I
1: mean, haven't been on that long. They've, I've, I'm a relatively recent addition to, uh, to to functional nerds, but that would also, I think, be a way of just sort of like, yeah, just put put like a put like a hamper with them on it, just on the table, and mommy's interviewing someone. Say hi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I would go so far as to be like, you really should get like a Clive Barker and read that out loud to to the five month yeah. old. But but on the other hand. It may be the only window of time when you can do that and know and know that probably they're not being scarred for life. It's probably fine. Oh, probably yeah. Not. yeah, that's...
0: No worries. As long as I don't drop it on an article, it's a quite big Mine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I would like to point out that uh, Tracy is not a child psychologist. No.
1: <laughs> there should be lots of, lots of asterisks after all this advice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you are indemnified, Patrick, against any lawsuits <laughs> having to do with my parenting advice, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, <laughs> so I, I just, if, if nobody minds, I have sort of like a really deep, dope, smoky sort of question. Are we are we at that level? Do we feel oh, like boy. Kind of sort of, <laughs> Patrick's like, must we? <laughs> but like, sir, I was thinking about this as I was sort of like reflecting on the premise of it Then I woke up and reading some of the pro reviews of it and thinking about, what we've seen horror do um, in literature and in media and so on, not just recently, but sort of time and time again. And I guess it dawned on me. I I have no skill for writing horror in my own writing. I've done scenes that are scary or distressing, but not, not a sustained work of horror. And so my knowledge and understanding of it really doesn't land in a craft area. Um, And so I kind of wanted to sound you out on this a little bit, uh, Malcolm, but why do you suppose it is horror is so good at telling the truth?
3: Because
1: it seems like it's doing that an awful lot. Like it's like sure, that's a monster there, but the monster is also very real in a in a sense that's bigger than the monster or what have you.
0: The monster's in the house.
1: It's calling for right Ordering a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm I'm
2: not sure. What what sort of examples do you have of the? I mean, certainly.
1: um, Yeah, I mean, in terms of American creators um, who've really been shifting the landscape in the last few years, obviously we've got the work of like Jordan Peele, um, where his various horror films, um, like like Us and Get Out and whatnot, and and pretty soon we're having um, uh, Nope is coming out uh, in the not too distant future. There's a sense that he's using horror as a mechanism to tell us true things that we may either not have known how to say or refused to have seen, um, you know, going back to, you know, there's, there's a sort of zombie story. That's not a zombie story operating. And and then I woke up, but like Romero's, you know, day of the dead and dawn of the dead are really, they're, they're critiques of capitalism and of sort of like suburban sprawl and conformity and so on. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about, about, Going back, back to Frankenstein, there's questions about, you know, bodily autonomy and and the limits of creation and the, what we're responsible for when we create things. And so horror seems like it's contending with a lot of truth all the time, despite the fact that its its mechanisms are usually like highly imaginative and sometimes not even remotely realistic.
2: Yeah. Um- I, well, that's quite a good question. I don't know. I, in in terms of exactly why i doing that, I don't know. My my speculation would be that if it's a sort of literature which is setting out to shock people, then if people are already anticipating being shocked by something that seems ridiculous,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and they're okay, we're not open to that. Then I think that leaves them open to sort of slipping other things while you're doing that, perhaps.
3: Yeah, yeah. I
2: don't know. Um, I think horror readers go in sort of with a certain mindset maybe that people who read other genres don't necessarily, mm. in the sense that they're going, okay, go on then, um, worst. So most horror readers that I know aren't, aren't <laughs> scared by anything. Mm. Horror stuff, they'll admire it, but nothing scares them anymore. You know, it's like people who watch horror movies. They go, mm. oh, yeah, no, I really like that one, but it scares them. No, not at all. Mm. It might be if you don't like horror. But from that point of view, they know them, doesn't scare them at all. They're just going, "Yeah, that was interesting." They they, they 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 appreciate it rather than get scared by it. And I think that's interesting, yeah. sort of weird jump when you sort of become you desensitize yourself to one thing, mm-hmm. and maybe I don't know that sort of just allows other things to creep in.
0: I think I think you're going down the road a little bit of The Witcher, right? So in in the in the stories of The Witcher, the short stories and the novels, the, you know, he's a monster hunter, mm-hmm. and and it's very horror centric. Uh but really the, it's like the message is almost always the monsters are the people. Yeah. It's not actually the monsters, right? Mm-hmm. The monsters sure, they're in the forest and they're eating people because they're hungry. But really it ends up being the monsters are always the people. The mm-hmm. real monsters. And, and I think that's kind of what you're going at, right? It's like it's like yeah. shining a light on on hard truths that uh it's not necessarily scary, scary, like a jump scare kind of thing. It's more of a, here's a horrible thing. And really, if you look at it kind of closely, you'll notice that this horrible thing is what happens in the world every day.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a, It's actually... Um... One of my the things that I do, Malcolm, is I'm, I'm a teacher and I teach creative writing, among other things. And it's actually something I talk to my students about when, when they're writing poetry, um, is that the difference in a good poem and a kind of mediocre poem of the sort that you might slap inside of a greeting card or something is there's, there's going to be a triggering subject and, and the actual subject and the triggering subject is is the sort of top line item you're like oh this is a poem about a flower but if all it is is like look at the flower it is so purple the dew is on its leaves etc cetera, etc cetera, then you might end up with with a compelling description of a lovely bit of spring or what have you, but but it's going to go no deeper and it's not going to sort of stick with us. That, That the flower needs to be a vehicle because it is the thing that is being plucked for some purpose and that the poem is about that purpose or that you know, in the case of, um, there's a poem, actually, I've shown my students before. It's called 1-800-Hot-Ribs. No shit. This is seriously the name of it, um, which is also a real thing. Like, you can dial it, at least in the United States. It's an 800 number by which you can be sent freeze-dried, barbecued ribs, um, or, or freeze-free. I could never believe that. No, no, it's that that. This is also part of the Sasquatch mythology of American food. Um, so, but anyway, the the poem starts with the the speaker of the poem, presumably the poet, receiving a bunch of dry ice packed ribs that have been shipped from fuck all where in the United States to someplace else, right to where to where he is, and he's imagining it being loaded onto a plane and flown out to him and all this sort of stuff and all the things it must have flown past in the course of that. And in in the reflection of all the things that it must have flown past, Um, we see condominiums and we see kids baseball games and we see all sorts of things. And it lands on the image of, um, the, the sort of like homeless shanty town that's right outside the airport where this would ultimately have been received and then shuttled onto like a FedEx truck to go to him, um, where folks are roasting squirrel over, um, fires made in oil drums. And that there's this sense of parallelism, like, look, look at the enormous privilege that I have, that I have received the finest ribs from Kansas City here in my New York apartment or whatnot. When it's just the trigger to get to the actual subject of like, this is fucked up. That like so many resources have been used to, to, to bring you this fabulous grilled meat when someone who is a quarter mile down the way from you is currently grilling squirrel um, in squalor and in a sense I think maybe horror does have more in common with poetry than I thought before in that there is a triggering subject but there's an actual subject as well like sure look hey ooh, ghost story guess what else okay so that was the end of my disquisition now we're all very tired <laughs> you're making us think <laughs> ah, stop it should we, should we stop thinking really hard and just start celebrating things that make us squee with pics of the week sure eh, let's do that
3: picks
1: All right Patrick, do you want to uh, model model appropriate picks of the week behaviors from Malcolm Sure I am I'm excited
0: because a, a show that I like uh, came back and then they did a little hiatus and now they're back again with the second part and it's Young Justice Phantoms. It's on HBO Max. Young Justice has a a difficult story because they started on, I believe, Cartoon Network. And then Cartoon Network decided they wanted to do Teen Titans Go instead. And then Young Justice went to like... H or not HBO the DC Universe thing and kind of had a little life there and then eventually made it onto HBO Max with the other stuff when DC Universe went away and it's it's the story of the quote unquote sidekicks but don't call us sidekicks that spin off and create their own team uh, it starts off with Robin uh, Kid Flash Aqualad, uh Miss Martian Superboy and a couple others and now you know as we fast forward they're they're actually aging up. And they're all now twenties ish Mm -hmm. and there's new members of the team. And this, this phantoms uh, season is, is getting really, really good. And you've got lots of things going on. Uh, They continued their battle with the light and the light is a group that consists of people like Lex Luthor, Vandal Savage, uh, Queen Bee, um, dark side on and on. on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's just good. I mean, when you look at the things that DC could do, I wish that they would pay more attention to shows like Young Justice when they looked at their live action things to do. It's, it's just really, really good. And they left us on a, on a, uh, not necessarily a cliffhanger when they did their little break, but they, mm. they definitely left us on a wanting more. And, and now they're back, and, and I just enjoy the show. So it's back on HBO Max, part two awesome. of the season. Uh, Young awesome. Justice Phantoms.
1: All right. Well, that sounds lovely and diverting. Malcolm, how about you? Something something folks would love.
2: Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I should prepare for this, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> I can
1: right. just start naming uh, can... things in the background of your turns. <laughs> um, a, a printer. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> the, the film Red. That really was a good yeah. film, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I can, I, I, can, I can do a book if you want. Do you want a book? Sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. we love books. Right, how about um, uh, The Animals in That Country by Laura Jean McKay? Oh, all right. Which, yeah. um, if so the book came out, I think, last year or a couple of years ago in Australia, it won the R.C. Clark Award last year. Mm-hmm. So it might be already um, all read uh, it's very strange and very, very interesting. So, um, a bit like, and then I woke up, it mm-hmm. involved a fictional pandemic. Uh, but this one is called Zoo, and the symptoms of it are that you start being able to hear what animals say, what animals are talking about.
1: I think a lot of people would think that that would be great until it isn't. You would think
2: so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. this is terrifying. So, it starts off with um, you, the first symptoms are starting to sort of animals or they sort of comparable furs, if you like, uh, start talking to you. And then it goes on and on and on. You start hearing what birds are saying, and then insects. And by that point, you have probably got insane.
3: Mm.
2: And the story follows the point of view of a woman who is, a woman in a fixie or so who is working as I say in a nature reserve in Australia, who sets off on a road trip talking dingo to try and find her daughter who's being taken away by her, her junkie son, basically, to kidnap her. And the relationship, first of all, the way that Leco uh, conveys how the animals talk mm-hmm. is extraordinary. And she uses this kind of weird, broken poetry, but mm-hmm. they don't quite use full sentences. They just sort of talk in these sort of strange, surreal... Images IQ, if you
1: reactions. Like. Yeah.
2: It's... And the relationship between the main character and this dingo called Sue is... Uh, it's fascinating the way it sort of shifts as their status starts shifting between them and how, they, how essentially the human starts devolving de- and the animals sort of start coming up and they sort of start shifting positions. And awesome. it's extraordinary, it's horrible in places, it's really, really frightening in some places. There's some extraordinary scenes with uh, when, uh, a whole field of pigs, for example, is just escaping. They can just hear what they're saying as they try and escape from this pig farm. Uh, oh, oh anybody under, who knows
1: anything about pig farms knows that pigs are terrifying.
2: Yeah, but also the way they live and the way they're farmed is not particularly
1: yeah, uh, no, no, not yeah, terrifying.
2: I like. part um and then later you discover that there's an awful lot of people are just rushing to the coast just trying to try and hear what the whales are saying. Um anyway, it's it's fantastic stuff, I recommend that one.
1: That was definitely the pause of someone who wants to say what the whales are saying, but will not for the good I folks do. who want to read. Yeah, I yeah. If you want
0: to read that part of the book, I'd like, oh, God. Yeah, like, oh, dear. Well, as someone who has seen Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, multiple times, we know what the whales are saying. Clean up your shit, humans.
1: Yes. Yeah. We need to save the world. Also, Earth Day was just Friday. So, yeah, yeah. I think I can sort of get your shit together. All right. Um, so my my pick of the week um, is actually a cousin of your pick of the week from our last episode, um, uh, Patrick. So you've started watching the Moon Knight show, and as is traditional with us, I am apparently incapable of keeping up with television in any meaningful way. Um, and so what I've actually started doing is I've 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 started reading the back catalog of Moon Knight. Um, which I have a funny relationship with Marvel in that I have a a period of time that's about 20 years wide where I know a great deal about Marvel comics because that's when I was like actively collecting and reading lots of titles and stuff like that. But then I have a sort of like enormous blind spot of, everything else um and moon knight is part of that enormous blind spot for me and so really the only thing i had ever heard about him uh prior to the the show being announced and the promo leading up to it and whatnot was um that he is in the opinion of of many fan persons uh a kind of poor man's batman and Marvel's so
0: version of batman yeah
1: yeah. And so uh, being uh, being that I am pretty Batman literate, I was like, well, that seems like a reason to read. Um, but I also have this really conflicted relationship with it because I have a lot of mentally ill family members um, on, on both sides of my family, both both genetically speaking and, and by marriage. Um, and so I was really interested in seeing the Moon Knight show, but also kind of like, eh. I'm, I, I can't. I can't demand like moral and ethical purity of all of the works that I read because that I think is is ultimately an exercise in, in some futility. But I did feel very much as if I wanted to know before I got into the show, how do they deal with this character's mental states? Like if he has dissociative identity disorder, like how is that portrayed? And like, what sure. does that look like? And all of that. Um, so I've started reading the Warren Ellis um, and Bemis comics that go – Oh, like back to 1984 uh, and all the way up to, to 2014. Um, and I've read several volumes up to this point. And I, I have to say, I'm surprised at how richly well-written the character is. So if you've been thinking about going back and, and getting your hands on some Moon Knight omnibuses or, or collaborations or collections or things like that, um, you might want to give it a go. I have had okay. a good experience with it so far. Very cool. All right. And thus, having completed all of the important checkboxes, long <laughs> disquisitions on my part with dope smoking meditations on truth, a few random dad jokes, questions about food, and of course, picks of the week, we're now at the most important part of everything. Malcolm, where can people find you and your work in this wide world?
2: Um, uh, uh, then I work up. With, I think it's uh, published by Tor.com. Um, I have a short story collection which came out last year from Unsung Stories in the UK, but I think it should be available in the US and other places as well. Um, apart from that, I'm mostly just on, I'm vaguely on Twitter. I'm a bit scared of Twitter, but I'm vaguely on Twitter. And I, <laughs> I have a website with, with a very little on it, and about that's about it at the moment.
1: <laughs> well, folks, uh, if you're interested, keep an eye out for Malcolm Devlin's And Then I Woke Up. Malcolm, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Hello, Robert. How you doing, Robert? Here's your new bumper, Robert. The one you asked for. Thanks for listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast. Because I've always partnered with teachers as co-hosts, we have homework for you. Giles and Michelle are kind of cool. They have a podcast called Beyond the Functional Nerd. Oh, hold on. Uh, Got a memo coming in here. Uh-huh. Yeah, Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, (laughs) I guess they call it Beyond the Trope now. I honestly don't know if that's new or what. They even have a website for it though, beyondthetrope.com. Their podcast is weekly, just like ours, and they talk with people just like we do every Tuesday. So if you listen to us and then go listen to them, and that is really, really important. You have to do it in that order. It's kind of like a double feature. And double features are cool. So check them out over at Beyond the I'm Ner- uh, Sorry, wait. <laughs> sorry. BeyondTheTrope.com Yeah, that's it. BeyondTheTrope.com Now, if you enjoyed today's episode or really any of our episodes, there's lots of things you can do to support us and let us know you like these things. Okay? A little bit of validation. We love validation. You could go to... Wherever you listen to our episodes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, and give us some stars and reviews, say something nice about us. You could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and toss a couple bucks our way. You could get a supporting or attending membership for WorldCon and nominate us for a Hugo Award in 2023. See, I'm kind of getting ahead of it this time. Uh, it's far too late for 2022, but... 2023 is doable. If you need, like if you have questions, just reach out and and ask me how that works. And I can I can explain it to you, Todd. You could buy our books. Tracy's got a couple out there. I've got a novel and some novellas out there. Google that shit, people. That would be awesome. You could stop two random strangers in the street and tell them all about us. Like just people you're passing as you're walking. Now, (laughs) if you do that, like uh Make some serious eye contact. Don't, don't blink. Just stare at them right in the eye and tell them to listen to us and why they should. There's probably some stuff I'm forgetting. I'm sure Robert will let me know. Or Todd. Whatever happened to Beware the Hairy Mango? is it Mucho Mango Mile Month yet? Hmm. I should go Google that. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call
1: me Cannoli Joe. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. (laughs) 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 That's probably a good enough signal. (laughs) I'm so excited.